Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. As we continue through the book of James, we come to verses 7 through 12 of chapter 4, where we will be looking at submission, a matter of humility. Pastor Roy looks at what submission really is and some of its benefits to believers. We encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along with Pastor Roy. All right, today we're talking about submission, a matter of humility. Uh, Lorena read some of the verses. Uh, If you open your Bibles to James chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. He gives several things here for us to be challenged with in our lives. And the first one, I'm going to spend a considerable amount of time on because really our submission is the key to all this other stuff. Uh, This other stuff will happen if we submit ourselves to God. So he says in the beginning in verse 7, chapter 4 of James, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now remember, he is talking to the, the church, believers. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor. We start off this morning talking about the idea, and Lorena touched on it in at least one song, if not more than one, actually, if you listen to the words, and that is this, that we are to surrender our life to God's will. When he says to submit ourselves to God, submission is surrender. It's waving the white flag and saying, God, I voluntarily place myself under your command, under your authority. It's like when one army submits to another one, they do so voluntarily. It may feel a bit forced, but we do it voluntarily, willingly submit ourselves to the Lord. This is a huge concept and it is a challenge for all of us to do because I don't think we surrender ourselves just one time. It's not one and done. We have to put ourselves on the altar again and again and again. And I was challenged as I prepared for this message that I have to fresh and anew surrender myself to the Lord. And I hope that you will be challenged to surrender yourself to the Lord. Personal responsibility. No one can surrender my life for me but me. No one can surrender your life for you but you. That's the personal responsibility each of us has before God to voluntarily place ourselves under him. A forced conversion is manipulation and selfish. And that's what we see with ISIS, by the way. They force people through intimidation and terror to become a follower of Allah. That is not true submission. True submission is willingness to say, God, I give you my life freely because of what you've done for me. We sang this morning, all I owe to you. 
All I owe to you. So there's a voluntary surrender. You see, a component of compulsion is I have to submit. But a component of voluntary is I want to submit. You see the difference? Not I have to, I want to because of who God is. I surrender myself to the Lordship of Christ. Now, when we talk about the Lordship of Christ, many people think I accept the Lord, I admit I'm a sinner, I believe that Jesus died for me, and I confess my sin and I receive him as Savior. That is true. But it's Savior and Lord. You do not receive him just as your Savior. You receive him as Lord. It's not later I become under the Lordship of Christ. When I give my life to Jesus, I'm saying I'm under the Lordship of Christ. He is in control. He is the reigning, ruling factor of my life. Now, that's not easy to do sometimes because we want to have our way. John MacArthur notes that 92 times in the book of Acts, Jesus is called Lord. And only twice is he called Savior. So the whole idea of lordship of Christ is all through the scripture, the gospel, when we believe, it's giving my life is believing. Not just saying with my lips I believe. Jesus, remember, condemned the Pharisees. He says, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. It's giving him our heart. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, and you will be saved. Notice, Lord Jesus Christ. So let's talk about surrender for a moment. Surrender, I'm going to give you three things that surrender is. Number one, it is submission to God's law. Whatever God says in his law, I am to put my life under that authority and under that power to let God control my life. It is under the influence of God's law. It is a foundation for my morals. That's why I don't engage in immorality. I don't access my mind to pornography. I don't give my life to something that is worthless. A earthly pursuit over godly pursuits. It is submission to his law. Notice he says in Psalm 1, the psalmist said, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. God's law permeated the psalmist's life, and he wanted to obey the words of God's law. Is that the attitude of our heart? Many professing Christians fail to submit to the lordship of Christ, I believe, because they have a misunderstanding of who God is. You see, way back in the Garden of Eden, Satan whispered something in Eve's ear to what? Misrepresent God. So that she would misunderstand who God was. And in that misunderstanding of who God was, she failed to submit to God's law, don't eat from the tree. So submission to his law comes from an understanding of who God is. He notice he says, submit yourselves to God. When we understand who God is, we should not have a problem submitting to his authority and his leadership. He made me. He fashioned me. He gave me breath. He determined who my parents would be. He determined my color, my ethnicity, 
my intelligence, everything about me, God has orchestrated. Why should I not submit to his law, which is perfect? The law of the Lord is perfect, the Bible says, reviving the soul. But here's what many people think about God. They think he's unloving. They think he's unfair. They think he's a cosmic killjoy. And if that's our attitude toward God, we have a misunderstanding of who he is. Why would I submit to that kind of God? But when I understand he has my best interest at heart, he's prepared eternity for me, then I submit to his law. I submit to who he is. Many professing Christians, and I do say this, many professing Christians hold to the idea that God is going to make me do something I don't want to do. Or he's going to make me not allowed to do something I want to do. Is that true? I think it can be. But again, it's submission to his law that we need. Let me give you this quote by Stephen Charnock. Stephen Charnock was an English Puritan pastor in the mid-1600s. Look what he says. A man in every sin aims to set up his own will as his rule and his own glory as the end of his actions against the will and glory of God. That's why I say when he says submit yourselves to God, he's saying surrender your life to God's will. If we all did that in this church even, and I know we have some visitors, the other churches that you're a part of, if we did that, we would probably not have a shortage of workers. We would not have a shortage of financial needs. The budget would be met. Because you see, we give him our time, our talent, our treasure, and our testimony. We give him that, all of that. And does he have all of that? Are you surrendered to the Lord? Does he have your wallet? Does he have your purse? Does he have your heart? Does he have your body? Does he have it all? I think about the guy who, in Washington, D.C., he was a friendly undertaker, and it said he closed all his correspondence with eventually yours <laughs> and I wonder if that's how we are with God God eventually I will give my life to you eventually I will serve you eventually when my kids are grown when this happens when then I, then I'll do it and we have the, all these conditions we place on the Lord um, it was like the guy he was a, a, a writer and he said he was going to donate his, uh, he was going to will his body to science. And he selected Harvard as the recipient because he said, my parents wanted me to go there and it was the only way I could get in. <laughs> um, are we willing our living body to the Lord? So there is submission to his law. Secondly, there is surrender is submission to his leading his leading are we easily led by the Lord let me ask you a question in God's leading of your life are you more like a goat or a lamb a goat has to be drugged and pulled and they say when you train a goat you've got to move him a few steps and give him a little treat and get him to go a few more steps and you got to yank on them, and they say, you can't yank too hard, they said, because that harness will actually cut off the, the air in the windpipe, and the thing will collapse. 
And I wonder sometimes if God feels like he's doing that with us to lead us. He's got to drag me along, pull me until the windpipe is cut off and I don't have any air and oxygen and I'm laying there collapsed and all of a sudden God says, now you ready to follow me? Are you ready? Um, or am I like a lamb? And saying, God, I'm just going to submit to you. Are we, which are we? You see, Israel misunderstood God's leading when he led them into the wilderness and they wandered for 40 years. It was not because God was directionally or geographically challenged or he lost his GPS. No, it was to discipline them for their disobedience. So sometimes God may lead me into an area that I don't like because of disobedience or he's trying to shape my life and he brings something into my life that I may not like. But he does it to mature us. Because that's what James is talking about. God's leading in our lives. Thirdly, submission to God's love. Submission to his love. We sang about it this morning at the cross, at the cross. Right? Where the love ran red and my sin was washed white. If, if that kind of love has been demonstrated for me and for you, why would I not submit to that kind of love? Whenever you have a husband who loves his wife and cares for her and protects her and provides for her and meets her needs and, and cares about her well-being, I don't know too many wives that don't want to submit to that. That's what they want. That's what they need. And guess what? That's what God provides for us in the person of Jesus Christ. He protects me. He provides for me. He gives me everything I need. I haven't, I haven't starved. I haven't been not cared for. God has provided for me. So I want to surrender to that kind of leadership. I want to surrender to his law. I want to surrender to his love because he loves me. And I think we need to be reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus. He says, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. The highest possible means of God showing his love for us was when he offered himself on the cross. And the most we can do is give ourselves back to him. You see, a rebellion problem is a submission problem. A submission problem is an authority problem. And this authority problem stems from an issue of control. Who is in control of my life? I will not place myself, I will not surrender myself under God because I don't trust Him. Or because I want some type of freedom that I will lose if I place myself under his rule. Otherwise, we should submit to him. Here's Stephen Charnock again. To, here's what we often do. We make ourselves our own rule. And the object of our chiefest love is atheism. When we become our own rule. And that's what's happening in our culture, is it not? Everybody wants to do that which is right in their own eyes and they become the sovereign, they become the authority, they want their freedom. They want their belief. And God is the one. His law, his leading, his love is the authority in our lives. 
Well, let's move on from that. I want to give you three benefits to surrender. Because you see, those are hard concepts, but there are some benefits when we surrender our life to the Lord. I told you I'm going to spend a little time on this because I think it's, it's crucial. But there's three benefits that I want to give us. Benefits to surrender. It's always good, you know, when you go in for a job, it's like, what's the benefits? What am I going to gain from this? There are incredible benefits when we surrender to the Lord. Here's the first one. We are shielded from evil. Notice he says in the passage, submit yourselves to God and then what? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I am shielded from evil because I submitted myself to the Lord, to his law, to his leading, and to his love. And when I do that, I am shielded from evil. I'm not going to be in the wrong place. I'm not going to be with the wrong people. Or if I do find myself in the wrong place, I can get out of there quickly. Joseph, when he was being seduced by Potiphar's wife, ran out, right? Because he was shielded from evil because his life was surrendered to the Lord. You're in front of the computer and there's a pop-up on the screen. I click away from it because why? I'm shielded from evil because I said I will set no vile thing before my eyes. God's law. I'm not going to play a video game that is, has a worldview that is contrary to Scripture. I'm shielding myself from evil, and God is doing that in my life because I've surrendered my life to Him. It's a wonderful thing. A shield is a wonderful thing. I resist the devil because he is out to destroy me, and he's out to destroy you. He's out to destroy God's church. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Notice he says the devil is our enemy. Let me remind you of a moment for what the enemy represents. The enemy represents the embodiment of all that resists God and is at enmity with God. He is hostile toward God and his people. He falsely accuses and divides people for any reason. He is a slanderer, and he slandered God's character in the garden. That's the enemy that's out to destroy us. And the only way that I can resist him or you can resist him and to be shielded from evil is to submit and surrender my life to the Lord. That's why it's crucial. He will absolutely destroy your life and your soul. That's what he wants to do. That's his goal. He wants to consume us. And notice it says he prowls around. What does that mean? He secretly, quietly tiptoes around to find a crack in my life to get in and destroy me and to destroy you. He says in Ephesians 16, 6.16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of what? Faith, the shield of faith will protect us from evil, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So you can't say, well, you know, I, I'm submitting my life, but you know, I've got this sin over here I just can't get rid of. Wrong. Submit to the Lord and the sin will go because Satan will flee. Submit to the Lord. You will be shielded from evil. Take up the shield of faith. He says in 1 Peter 1.5, who through faith are shielded by God's power 
until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. How? By placing myself under the lordship of Christ. I'm able to resist the devil. Well, let's move on. We are also strengthened against temptation. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he was strengthened against temptation. How? By his surrender to the Father. Because what did he do? He quoted his word. His life was surrendered to the Father and he was strengthened against temptation. So again, temptation is going to come to me and it's going to come to you and it's going to knock on my door regularly. And it does. And I know it knocks on yours too. Satan has all of our addresses. But we can be strengthened against temptation when we surrender our life to the Lord. And we've got to do that daily because he's going to come to us again and again. Jesus prayed in the garden. He showed his surrender to the will of the Father. Not my will, he says, but yours be done. That's surrender. Thirdly, we're surrounded by God's angels. When we surrender our life, you can look, when Jesus prayed, there were angels, the Bible said. When he was tempted in the, in the wilderness, it said angels came and ministered to him. I don't mean this in a mystical, don't, don't go out there and say, well, I've got to look for an angel somewhere, you know. There's an angel behind the tree or under a rock. No, no, I'm not talking about this mystical stuff. I'm just saying behind the scenes, God is at work to protect us and care for us when we submit to his leading. We are surrounded by angels. In Psalm 34, 7, it says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. So there's some great benefits to surrender. And I think it's important for us to know that. Let's go on. Secondly, in 4, 8, we solicit divine help from the Lord. Notice he says in verse 8, Come near to God. He will come near to you. We draw near to this God who is worthy to lead us. He loves us. His law is perfect. And therefore, I solicit his divine help. This is my spiritual attitude. Moses, in approaching the burning bush, he said, take your sandals off because the place you're standing is what? Holy ground. So when I submit myself to the Lordship of Christ, I am seeking to live a holy life. Not holier than thou, a holy life, a separated life, a sanctified life. That's what he's talking about. And we solicit divine help from the Lord. In Psalm 40, verse 1, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. In Psalm 145, 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. There's an attitude of worship in soliciting the Lord. An attitude of worship. We also separate ourselves from that which is evil. Again, this is all tied into submission. But we separate ourselves from that which is evil. Notice what he says. Wash your hands, you sinners. That's separating ourselves from evil. The Jews had to wash their hands to practice ceremonies. The washing of the hands was very important. So that to the Jews, they would understand this. Wash your hands, you sinners. But Jesus said, be more concerned about the inside of the cup than the outside. Be more concerned about that. Separating ourselves from evil. Being free from moral filth. A life that is purged of evil. It's interesting in the New Testament, 
When Jesus healed people of diseases, it says he healed all manner of sickness and disease. But there's one disease the Bible says, it doesn't use the word healed, it uses the word cleansed. You know what it was? Leprosy. Leprosy. You see, because leprosy represented sin. And in Matthew 18, or Matthew 8, 2, it says, A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The cleansing power of God to cleanse us from sin, that we could be separated from evil and live a sanctified life in a morally degenerate culture is possible. And God encourages us. James encourages us to do that. And then notice he goes on to say, purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's the idea of being made holy, sanctified. Hands, the outward expression, the heart, the inward attitude that we purify. He says you're double-minded. It penetrates to the root of the matter. We set aside morally impure thoughts. Notice he says you double-minded. Setting aside morally impure thoughts. Someone said it's attacking that which pollutes the heart will remove that which divides the mind. Makes sense, doesn't it? That which pollutes the heart will remove that which divides the mind. In 1 Peter 1.22, he says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so we may serve the living God? Do you have a filter on your internet? Is that important to you? It's important to me. On my computer, on my phone, Covenant eyes to protect, set aside immoral thoughts, separate myself from evil. We have clear play at home that filters out language out of movies and other indecent things. Social media, all these things that touch our lives, that impact our spirit. Thirdly, Seek genuine repentance for my sin. These are not popular topics. When you talk about surrendering your life, people are like, you kidding me? All I want to do is believe and come and be blessed. <laughs> there are so many sermons on God wants to bless you. God wants to do this for you. God wants, to, God wants us to surrender. <laughs> and he will bless us. But seek genuine repentance for my sin. Notice he says in verse 9, grieve mourn and wail. He uses three expressions to show the depth of our repentance. Grieve, mourn, and wail. The first two are outward expressions. Um, or I'm sorry, grieving and mourning are internal and the wailing is external. Um, one commentator said it this way, whatever the basis in the Old Testament Mourning is always stimulated by the realization of the destructiveness of sin. 
whether in relation to God or in relation to others. Remember when Peter denied Christ three times? Here's what it says in Matthew 26. Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and the Bible says he wept bitterly. That's remorse for sin. It's not trifling with sin and making light of sin and making fun of sin. We have too many people doing that and sweeping it under the carpet and thinking I'm getting away with something and in the eyes of a sovereign God, we're not getting away. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And notice what he goes on to say, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. What's that all about? Here's what he's saying. He's saying the things that people are laughing about, they should be mourning about. Where there's rejoicing, there should be remorse. We laugh about things that aren't funny. And that's what our culture is doing today. We're laughing at things that make a mockery of God. I saw a cartoon this week that somebody sent us that just gagged me. It grieved me deeply. And it was actually from another country. And they showed this thing that was for sale. And you know what it was? It was an inflatable Jesus. Play with him, do this with him, do that with him, an inflatable Jesus. And I thought, what a tragedy to mock God in that way, to lower him in that way. Constantly in our society, people want to downsize the divine being that God is. We need to seek genuine repentance for our sin. And that's why he says our laughter should be turned into mourning. What was making them laugh should have been making them weep. And we think about things in our culture that are absolutely heart-wrenching. And people just make a mockery of God. And then he goes on to say that we squelch pride through surrender to God. Notice in verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Someone said when success turns a man's head, it leaves him looking in the wrong direction. And I think it's true. We need to have a spirit of meekness. Jesus said in Matthew 23, For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And I don't know about you, but I think we all have a pride problem right up here to the pulpit. Because we are, by nature, selfish, egotistical, independent, judgmental. All of us struggle with those things. And so we've got to squelch pride regularly. And by the way, when we do all these things and we submit to God and all that stuff, that conflict that he talked about, at the beginning of the chapter, will be gone. There will be harmony. There will be peace. People will love each other. They'll care for each other. And so it's crucial that pride is slayed by the Holy Spirit in our lives.
And then fifthly, the last one, strike malicious words from your vocabulary. Notice what he says in verse 11 and 12. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver, that's capitalized, and judge, capitalized, referring to God, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? He says, do not practice character assassination. Do not do that. Do not bite and devour one another. Don't judge other people. When we judge other people, what he's saying is we place ourselves in the position of God and we take his authority that only belongs to him and him alone. James's very letter is an, is an example of humility and loving evaluation. Only God knows the secrets of the heart and can judge that heart. In slandering one another, he says, believers slander the law of God. And he told us earlier that mercy triumphs over judgment. And it does. As we extend mercy to one another. Remember, I have said repeatedly, and I'm going to say it again, we are all broken people. We live in a fallen world. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. It doesn't excuse our sin, but it sure explains it. <laughs> it means that at times we may rub one another the wrong way, intentionally or unintentionally. But we've got to strike those words from our vocabulary because <laughs> we're sinful beings and we need to seek forgiveness when we do that. Whether it's in the same family, extended family, or a church family, or a community member, we have got to be careful in our judgment. And that's something I have to work on constantly. Romans 14.4, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And with that said, let's stand for a word of prayer. I would like you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And really, the main idea here is submission, a matter of humility, surrendering our life to the Lord. We have lots of needs of places of service in this church. Awana is one of them. It's a big one. And other places, too, of leadership or serving uh, in this church. Have you surrendered your life to the Lord? Does he have your body? Does he have your time, your talent, your treasure, and your testimony? Is it the Lord's? Um, I want to encourage all of us to place our lives in the hands of the Lord again, afresh and anew, today. Saying, God, I am surrendering my life again to you today, afresh and anew. I need you to be in the driver's seat. I need you to control me. Maybe there is a particular sin that has defeated you because you have not submitted to God's law. His leading. You're more like a goat than you are a lamb. 
You've got to be drugged. You've got to be forced. Um, God's looking for a willing heart. Someone who is available to serve. To give. The work of the Lord requires all of that. The body of Christ is strengthened when we do that. The testimony of the Lord is increased and the glory of God is seen as we do that together as a body. Would you give that to the Lord? Maybe you're here and there's a personal struggle in your life. You're like, you know, I've got a personal struggle in my life and this idea of surrender, that's, that's big. It is. And again, it's a regular thing that we have to do. Maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to the Lord at all. You are, you are in rebellion to the Lord. You are in bondage to sin. You need to repent of your sin and come to the cross where the blood can wash you white. And you will have then be shielded from evil. You'll be strengthened from temptation. You'll be surrounded by angels. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful thing that God can do in your life. And I challenge you, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I'll be shaking hands in the back. Come by and say, grab me wait, and wait for me and say, you know what? I want to talk to you about giving my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe you have that personal struggle and you need someone to pray with you and encourage you. We're here to do that as well. And that doesn't have to be with myself, maybe another Christian brother or sister here that can pray with you. That God's house is a house of prayer. doesn't have to be a prayer meeting, but you can sure pray with someone. You can love them. You can weep with them. Encourage. Man, I'm thankful for Sunday to be recharged, to be renewed in the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.